This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the Popcorn Talk Network. For the online broadcast network that features movie discussion, news, and interviews, press one. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. From the Popcorn Talk Network, the online broadcast network for movie talk, Alicia Malone with Scott Movie Mance and the Schmoes Know, this is Profile. In-depth spotlights on the greatest filmmakers and artists in motion picture history. Hello, Profilers! Welcome back to Profiles. Boy, have we got a doozy for you today. We do. What we were trying to figure out who our next profile was going to be. Hate to say the cliche, but it was an offer Alicia Malone could not refuse. <laughs> Who was our profile this week, my friend? Well, you said to me, "Who do you want to choose? You can choose anyone you want." And I said, "Marlon Brando." Brando Marlon of Brando, of course, Marlon Brando. We both got the bling on the t-shirt. She's got the hot young stud, Marlon Brando. Yep. I've got the Godfather himself. The you can see the iconic Brando. Brando. Amazing when we are looking at these films that we're going to be talking about today. What a career. What an eclectic career. Incredible. And every single performance, you're watching these movies and you're going, this is the performance of his career. Then you're watching the next one. You're going, no, 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 no wait. No. This, this is, is the, the one. one. Yeah. I mean, it's just like unbelievable. <laughs> and I know we say this all the time about how we say our Fast Five was <laughs> really, really choose. difficult. This was hard to choose. Yeah, it was because all his roles, as you said, are very, very different from each other. He is known as one of the great or if not the greatest actor of the 20th century. Definitely one of the most influential. He's credited with bringing method acting into Hollywood. And and I love this quote from director Michael Winner, who says, Before Brando, actors acted. After Brando, they behaved. And he was such an interesting guy as well. He's kind of an enigma because he's a great actor Mm -hmm. who also made terrible movies just for money. He was a sex symbol who let himself go towards the end. He was the first ever million-dollar actor who died in debt. And he loved to act, but he also described it as being really childish. He could never come to terms with fame. He wasn't comfortable with it. What a juxtaposition. All the way through, what a juxtaposition. What an interesting take on an actor whom the late, great Roger Ebert himself said was the greatest actor in the world. Mm -hmm. Bar none from one of the greatest film critics in the world. An actor who lived by his own rules 
damn the consequences, and there were many, but it is his legacy. It is the movies. It is the performances, performances. that endure. Just, you know, before we even get to talking about this movie in our Fast Five, watching him in Streetcar, Streetcar Named Desire. Wow. What a freaking stud. Yes. My God. Did you see those so, guns? So hot. Yeah. So Gorgeous geez. and ferocious and Every single role, he brought such a realism to it and often something unexpected. Well, it's interesting because of how many times you read about how he improvised his dialogue or he had to read from cue cards because he didn't want to memorize his lines. (laughs) And even back in the early days when his career was really taking off, he was improvising, putting his actors, his co-stars. Going, what's happening? They're like, what's going on? But you know what? It challenged them too. It made them better because that's part of the craft is being able to improvise. But this is a very, very special profile. Because it is our 30th show. Oh, is it? It's our 30th show since our first one, which we did on August 11th, 2014. (laughs) Hooray for Profiles! Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. I'd like to thank Alicia Malone. I'd like to thank the Profilers. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, 30. That deserves a major high five. So start the drinking now for our drinking game. Yes. But let's talk about an actor who not only had a wonderful life, but... A complicated life. It's it's hard to call it a wonderful life. I'd say wonderful career, yep. complicated life. But in our segment called It's a Wonderful Life, we look back on his career thanks to the pit boss, pit boss, <laughs> the pit boss Ken Natsok for uh, voicing this. Roll it. Roll it, Ken. Marlon Brando was born on April 3rd, 1924 in Omaha, Nebraska. His mother, Dorothy, was an artist, actress, and theater administrator, and his father, Marlon Sr., was a pesticide and chemical feed manufacturer. Brando, whose childhood nickname was Bud, moved to New York and became an avid student of actress Stella Adler, whose radical technique encouraged him to use his own feelings and past experiences to fully realize... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. ...as the characters he was portraying. After bouncing around New York doing some theater, Brando achieved stardom as Stanley Kowalski in the Broadway production of Tennessee Williams' 1947 play, A Streetcar Named Desire, directed by Elia Kazan. Brando made his feature film debut in 1950's The Men, in which he played a bitter paraplegic. That was followed the following year by the big-screen adaptation of Streetcar, which redeemed him with Kazan and led to the first of four consecutive Oscar nominations. By the mid-50s, and thanks to career-defining performances in The Wild One and On the Waterfront, Marlon Brando was hailed as one of the sexiest and most popular film stars in Hollywood. In total, Brando was nominated for eight Academy Awards, winning twice for On the Waterfront and The Godfather. Marlon Brando died in Los Angeles on July 1st, 2004, at the age of 80. Oh, that gave Whoa. me goosebumps. You know what? Just hearing that music. Hearing oh, the music, music and hearing this this life, hearing these movies, these performances, these these roles. I got the chills too because it really hit me after 30 shows what we are doing here on Profiles. Not just 
looking at modern actors, great actors, great filmmakers, but then we look back at Hitchcock and we look back at Marlon Brando. Yeah. The scope of what we are doing just makes me so proud. Me too. And I get so excited when people then tweet me saying, I watch this because of you guys. And that just feels really, really special. And hopefully we can do justice to Brando because... I mean, he's such an important part of all our lives. Absolutely. And just like you said, reading, Film lovers. getting, getting tweets and Facebook messages cool. from people who go, I never saw such and such until, but now I did because I want to prefer profiles. Yeah. So, so as they are seeing their first Brando movies, what <laughs> was yours? My first, uh, taste of Marlon Brando was in The Godfather. Okay. And I was young and I remember my dad used to watch it quite a lot. So I saw it in snippets. I think I've told this story before, but uh, just seeing him, I couldn't kind of understand who he was because then not long after that, I'd see him in Streetcar and on the waterfront. You know, I watched a lot of classics when I was growing up and I couldn't compute in my head that that was the same guy. Wow. Because I think he was the first actor that I saw which really transformed to that extent. Later on, of course, Daniel Day-Lewis and people like that. But for my young brain, I was like, but he's really old in The Godfather. I thought he was really 80-something. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought he, he was look old. old no. But he was only 47 at the time. It's just because he transformed. And then to come... <laughs> don't make that make <laughs> And then to look at him, you know, in Streetcar when he's younger. Uh, yeah, so that's what I really remember, just seeing that physical transformation. So when you saw Godfather for the first time, it was not in the cinema. No. But you just recently had a very special so experience cool. in the cinema with The Godfather. I was so excited. There's a, a company in LA who puts on these special events and as soon as I got the newsletter that this was happening I was like buying two tickets and I'm going to force Maud Garrett to finally see The Godfather but it was a really special screening it was downtown at the historic Los Angeles theater oh, yeah. which is so beautiful, beautiful. inside Old. and the best thing was they said on the invitation that you had to dress as if you're going to the Corleone wedding in the 1940s so men had to wear suits and the ladies had to wear evening attire preferably from the 40s so I said Maud rate my cupboard because I I love that style. We got all dressed up. It was so much fun. They had a they had a fake wedding uh, band downstairs and a dance floor, and then upstairs they had a DJ. Elijah Wood was DJing. Oh wow! And then they had the presentation of the movie, and I got chills looking around the theater, and it was packed. Full to the brim of everyone, whatever wearing forties clothes yeah. and watching just enwrapped in rapture of, of this beautiful movie, and it was uh, thirty-five millimeter print, so it was a little bit crackly. The sound wasn't so good, but I just was I loved it. it was just so to great. be there in a Los Angeles theater, which is a, a, one of the oldest Ooh. theaters in the city, and the I thought city. it would be all old people and then me more, but it was young people, people love of it. all ages, love it, so good. What about your uh, first mine? Blood? My first blood was Superman the movie, yeah, which. I saw in the theater in 1978. My dad, of course, took me to see this movie. You know, this was okay. This yeah. was not Slapshot. This was not Apocalypse Now. Yeah. This was not The Shining. The Shining yep. uh, but this was Superman the movie. And I see this this authoritative guy with white hair and an S on his chest. And he was Jor-El. He was Superman's father. And how ironic that our last episode of Profiles... Russell Crowe. Who also played Superman's father. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what a hell of a coincidence that turned out to be. <laughs> but uh, I didn't realize that this was the Marlon Brando until I went out and saw The Godfather. And then I went back and saw On the Waterfront and Streetcar. I'd never seen some of the other films that, that made him really, really famous. But what's interesting is that... In that movie, 
if you remember, he's wearing the white outfit and he's wearing the S on his chest. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, I said to my dad, Dad, why is he wearing an S? He's not Superman. So I found out later that it was Marlon Brando's idea to wear the S that his son, Kal-El, Superman, would eventually end up wearing on his on right. his superhero outfit. And which is why all the other members of the council on Krypton also wore their own symbols. So he was very, very creative, even on roles in movies where he just had a small but very, very significant role. That's so cool. Well, let's get into our fast five. At number five is... Yeah, we gonna wait for crazy, or we gonna get out of this dump? We're going to wait for crazy. <laughs> We're going to wait for crazy. The, the Wild, Wild One. One came out December 30th, 1953, directed by Laszlo Benedict. I'll tell you, 1953, The Wild One, this was just two years after Rebel Without a Cause. Yeah. Both of these films, Rebel Without a Cause and Wild One, solidified James Dean and Marlon Brando as rebels sex symbols in the extreme and look his look in this movie he's so freaking cool driving that bike <laughs> wearing the hat and the sunglasses the leather jacket, the jacket with the long the jeans. the jeans and his by the way his leather jacket is a shot new york city perfecto 618 which they cool. still sell oh, and they he still designed sell. well apparently a sales of leather jackets and jeans skyrocketed after this movie this is such an iconic role because of that because it opened the door for these rebels and these motorcycle movies it was the original outlaw motorcycle film uh, controversial at the time it was banned for 14 years in the UK yep. and then here in America they worried that it glamorized gang violence now something interesting that I discovered in the research but I'm sure you would be able to say if this is true or not. Okay. You probably know what I'm going to ask. I think I know. Does it have to do with something that begins with a B? Yeah. Okay. Say it. Okay. So there is the Black Rebels Motorcycle Club, Mm -hmm. which now there's a rock band called Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, and the other gang, the Beatles. The Beatles! And then there was a rumor that that's where the Beatles, in different spelling, got their name. Okay. That rumor started. But it was banned in UK. Exactly. So the rumor started because uh, the, the other motorcycle gang was led by Lee Marvin who played Chino mm-hmm. and he shows up and, and, and he says to Brando and, and the, the his gang he goes did you miss him fellas yeah the Beatles missed you all the Beatles missed you so they used that clip from the wild one in the 10 part Beatles uh, in the uh, 8 part Beatles uh, documentary the Beatles anthology right. as a setup and that's where the rumor came out so oh that must thought, have been right, where the Beatles true. got their name but like you just said the movie was banned in the UK for 14 years. So it is still possible that some of the members, especially back in the late 50s and early 60s, saw it. It's pre-Google. So they went- <laughs> Pre-Google, yeah, yeah, they Googled. They had named for groups. Yeah. But, um, you know, you got to remember that in Liverpool in the late 50s and early 60s, they were getting rock and roll because it was getting smuggled in by semen coming in from overseas. Right. So it's very possible that they could have found a, like a, a, a real print of the movie and watched it. Mm. And, and the rumor was that Stuart Sutcliffe, who was the temporary bass player in the Beatles before McCartney took over, uh, he was the one who said, guys, that's what we should call ourselves and call it Beatles with an A. Interesting. Interesting story. And more Beatles trivia. Yes. Marlon Brando in The Wild One. <laughs> yeah. His image 
that image is on the cover of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club oh, Band. So there you go. Well, that image is very iconic. If you go into those Hollywood souvenir stores here in LA, you're That's guaranteed you see. to see it. The Wax Museum, people like places like that, you definitely see it. It's this is the landmark movie of fifties rebellion. And the thing that I loved about watching Brando again in this is just you realize how much soul he puts into every single character. This right. character has an edge of violence, but you also understand him and and he is a cool guy and Brando said in his autobiography more than most parts I played in the movies or on stage I related to Johnny because of this I believe I played him as more sensitive and sympathetic than the script envisioned there's a I had to write this on the side there's a line in the picture (laughs) nobody tells me what to do that's exactly how I felt all my life well there's another line in the film that says and this is often quoted what are you rebelling against? Yes. And then he says, what, what do you got? got? I tried to look for that line for the audio graph, but I couldn't find it. <laughs> that is, listen, 1953, this was before rock and roll. So these bikers, this movie is a Western on wheels. And the the bikers are outlaws in the small town, and the authorities are trying to run them out of town. Mm-hmm. The amazing thing about Johnny is that he's really a man of few words. This is a performance. It is about attitude. It is about Present. character. It is about his look. And that look is why it's so defining yeah, for him. Yeah, it's funny because if you watch it now, you you don't really pay much attention to the look because it is so iconic and spawns so many copycats that you don't even notice it. But this was one of the first. It was one of the first. 1953, definitely yeah. one of the first. The Chicago Reader called it a sleazy good time and variety <laughs> at the time, said it was long on suspense, brutality, and sadism. And it is a movie that just watching it for the first time in, in ages holds up extremely well. Well, Seb Lacey loves The Wild One. He says, The Wild One is my favorite Marlon Brando film. The image of Brando in black leather is as iconic as the role itself. Playing the tough leader Johnny, Brando Brando is charming and dangerous, but you see underneath there's a sensitive side, which occurs in most of his roles. Brando may be remembered playing an aging Don, but The Wild One shows that as a young man, he owned the big screen. This is one of his first movies. That's true. They really just came out of the gate. And what what Guns Blazing. What a breakthrough performance. Lynette Charles, our good friend Lynette Yay, Charles. Lynette. Yay, Lynette. The Wild One is a favorite of mine. Marlon Brando deserved all of the accolades he's received over the years for playing Johnny. He's charismatic, cool, and complex. He becomes more complex and darker as the film goes on. There are plenty of fine performances, including Lee Marvin, Mary Murphy, and Robert Keith. Yeah, Amazing Mary film. Murphy. I love her. She's so beautiful. Okay, let's just take a moment to take care of some very much-needed business, okay. as we always do. do it. Put your okay. sales hat on. Let's do this. First of all, as you know, we love doing profiles. We value our profilers. <laughs> that is you. And if you really want to help us out so we can keep coming back and doing profiles and, and so we can get to all the people you keep suggesting, and there are a lot of them, yeah. please go to iTunes and subscribe to Profiles. Rate and review us. These ratings and reviews and subscriptions on iTunes, believe it or not, this is how we stay in business. This is how we keep coming back. Without that support, we really are nothing. So really very important to go to iTunes, rate, review us, and subscribe. Also, go to YouTube, youtube.com backslash 
Popcorn Talk Network. Correct. And subscribe to our YouTube channel and then share <laughs> it with everyone. Share it with your friends and tell your friends who are movie lovers to please share it with their friends. Let's get profiles viral. Let's get this going. It doesn't have to be all about dumb cat videos. <laughs> this is quality stuff here, folks. We're talking Marlon Brando. Also, make sure you uh, go to our Facebook page. This is also very important. It's Profiles with Malone and Mance. And when you like our page, which you better do, you get to join in on the fun. As you know, as you can see and hear, we are reading out comments yeah. submitted by Profiles. You also get a free hug. Free virtual hug from Alicia Malone and Scott Mance here. Speaking of something else you're going to get very, very soon, we are in the midst because you demanded it. We are processing those profiles t-shirts. Yes. Hashtag film geek. Hashtag so profile cool. for We're life. We're working on designs at the moment and they look amazing. I can't wait to wear profiles t-shirts. I'm going to wear it. Yeah. I'll wear it around. I'm not going to just wear it when I'm doing the show. Yeah, That's a cool shirt. all the time. So again, please support us every and every which way you can. Share it. Go to YouTube. Go to iTunes and just share away. And please, <laughs> again, Profiles with Malona Mance, our Facebook page. Let's move on. Well, I, I always try to keep my eye on live comments on YouTube as we're recording this live and Tyler Myers has a good suggestion considering he sadly passed away yesterday how about an Andrew Lesney profiles yeah that's oh, a good yeah, one that's a good one Australian cinematographer definitely we just saw Water Diviner which he did so yeah we'll definitely consider that see great suggestion great suggestion <laughs> okay let's move on to, to our, our right stuff. stuff, our favorite scene. And, you know, I, I know we try to pick different scenes. Yeah. I have a feeling this one, we did not. Yeah, we didn't pick the same. We didn't? No. Oh, what's yours? I can see yours right there. <laughs> <laughs> Mine is from The Last Tango in Paris. Okay. I like Last Tango in Paris, even though it's tough to watch at times. Uh, the monologue over the body of his wife. Yep. When I was re-watching mm. that movie, that scene really struck me as being so sad and really powerful. He's trying to figure out what happened to her. She's committed suicide. He's trying to understand why she did it whether he actually knew her at all and he gets so angry yeah. swearing at her and then he's crying and it's just such an emotional scene but interestingly though because Marlon had a tough time remembering lines so he, where'd he put them? He, well, he put them all over the place <laughs> on cue cards and then Bertolucci had to try to shoot around them apparently he also wanted to put some lines on Maria his co-star's rear end and she said no she said no <laughs> but apparently in, in this particular scene he looks up all dramatically and he was looking for his line but it, it's still He's still in character completely the whole time, and it really is haunting, that scene. That scene and that movie, that performance, I, I know we'll talk more about this, but it really is the most vulnerable, gut-wrenching, soul-bearing, so raw. raw performance he ever gave. And that movie came out the same year as The Godfather. Amazing. So what a year. I mean, a lot of people feel like he might have like squandered his town after the 50s. Uh, but he picked it up again quite well in the early 70s. Yeah. Now, my scene, and I just assumed that you would go with this too, because it's not just <laughs> a great Marlon Brando scene, Alicia Malone. It is one of the best scenes in movie history. Mm -hmm. This is, of course, on the waterfront. The scene in the back of the cab with Rod Steiger and Marlon Brando that I could have been somebody, I could have been a contender scene. What makes that scene so great is not just because of the significance in the movie mm -hmm. that is two brothers 
two brothers confronting each other, but it's about betrayal. It is it is that scene when 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 uh, 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 Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Do that again. He's holding the gun and he says, "Charlie." He just pushes just the gun away. It away. Fearless. Fearless. He doesn't care if he might pull the trigger. And Charlie Rod Steiger is so disarmed by that moment. Literally disarmed. Literally, yeah. <laughs> He's, good one. Give it up. <laughs> good job. Um, he is so disarmed emotionally that he sits back and he just like looks up at the sky like, what have I done? What am I doing here? And it's just, it, it, it's a sacrifice of brotherly love. And, and he surrenders. He surrenders to Terry. He surrenders to Marlon Brando. And so much has been written and said about that scene. They have a whole feature on the DVD and Blu-ray about the making of that scene alone, mm-hmm. where they're talking to Steiger about it. And it is, this is film 101 stuff, folks. It yeah. is just amazing. And it's just like when you're watching Casablanca or Citizen Kane, and so much has been written and talked about. But then you watch it and you go, yeah. You realize in context what that quote actually means and how it works and how it fits into the story and it makes it even more special. And he apparently improvised some of that scene too. Well, he did and he didn't. He started to improvise. And this uh, this bit of information comes from our good friend Liam Legrand. Yay. Who read Brando's biography. Watching live. Watching live, autobiography, uh, Songs My Mother Taught Me. Apparently, the rumor was that that scene was improvised, but it wasn't. Because the director, Eli Kazan, said, cut the crap, guys, stick to the script. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of the movie, that's what they did. Because Mm -hmm. Brenda started to improvise and Kazan was not having it. So that was actually very scripted. Cool. Interesting. All right. Mm. Well, there's a lot of interesting details, a lot of little little trivia, last detail about Marlon Brando. So uh, did you know that he was in a film directed by Charlie Chaplin? No, I didn't. What was it? 1967, Countess from Hong Kong, which also starred Sophia Loren. It was the last film that Chaplin made, and that was five years before Godfather. So five years before he had his resurgence. Hit me with one. Did you know that for Superman the movie... He was in the film for 15 minutes, and he got paid $3.7 million, wow. plus a percentage of the profits, way more than what Christopher Reeve made, and even more than what Gene Hackman made. Oh, interesting. Not bad. Did you know that he was there for the iconic Martin Luther King, I Have a Dream speech? I did not know that. He was there, and later that night, he was in a roundtable discussion, civil rights discussion, which is on TV show. The following year, he sent Martin Luther King a telegram saying, I feel that those who take action, active part in demonstrations for equality and freedom are the heroes of our time. And he was definitely an activist as well as an actor. But wasn't some of that information, uh, you know, we, when we were at Sundance, yeah. we saw this amazing documentary called Listen to Me, Marlon. It was incredible. It was really eerie. I hope it comes out somewhere. It's going to be on Showtime, I think, oh, cool. later in the year. Great. So it's the whole movie is told in Marlon Brando's own words from interviews that he's done for his entire life. And hearing him talk from beyond the grave yeah. about his life. He about, did so many recordings just of himself talking. And yeah, it was like hearing a ghost. It was, yeah, it was very, it was a really haunting. eerie, surreal, haunting film, but fascinating. And just, I've never seen a documentary like this Me before. Neither. So when it comes out, uh, Profiles, you got to check this bad yeah, boy special. out. Well, did you know that Marlon Brando wanted to play Jay Gatsby in The Great Gatsby? Interesting. But he wanted $4 million. 
And the studio said, no thanks. Wow. I can't, yeah, imagine him in that role. That would be interesting. That would, especially because it would have been after The Godfather. Yeah. Well. Let's get on to our... Number four. In our fast five. In head. Oh, really? (laughs) I don't want to know anything about your past, baby. You think I was telling you the truth? Oh, Last Tango in Paris. Released on at the New York Film Festival on October 14th, 1972. Directed by Bernardo Bertolucci. Two Oscar nominations for Best Actor Marlon Brando, Best Director Bertolucci. This is a sexy, erotic drama. Mm-hmm. It is also a violent, sexy, erotic drama. Yep. Uh, full of emotional, emotional turmoil and rape. But again, this is Brando at his most stripped down, literally and figuratively, role, such a soul-bearing, gut-wrenching performance. Yeah. Amazing. Vulnerable, tough to watch at times. He has these violent tendencies as this character, and then you see him really break down as well. It's it's such a full, incredible performance. Uh, it's no hiding. It's just all out there yep. on the table, and it's really incredible when you see an actor that's able to do that i don't know how that's possible (laughs) i could never be like that be like hey look at everything (laughs) i watched a documentary called seduced and abandoned which was alec baldwin and he he and a director going to Cannes film festival to try to pitch a similar project to last tango in paris today to show how hard it is to get a film made in today's landscape and Uh. meeting with all these weird finances trying to put it together and the finances saying well can it have more action you know (laughs) and so then they spoke to bertolucci and bertolucci said this film would never be made today they just don't make movies like this anymore well this was originally rated x when it came out and then in 1997 the rating was revised to nc-17 really controversial controversial film when it came out controversial for 1973 but also controversial for 2015 it was shocking to see this movie today Mm -hmm. and to see just how how out there it was the performances the dialogue i mean and what it explores uh, the, the butter scene? Yeah. Like, what? I know, but I think it's important for films to be able to explore topics like this. Make you feel uncomfortable. Make you feel uncomfortable, make you think about things, just shake things up a bit rather than being so rounded at the edges like Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, well. You know what I mean? Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> does not even compare. It's not even in the same league as Last Tango in Paris. But uh, as far as the movie shaking the core of everyone who's seen it, that was not limited to just the public, but also critics and also other filmmakers. The legendary Pauline Kael had this to say after seeing Last Tango in Paris. Tango altered the face of an art form. It's the most powerfully erotic movie I've ever seen. It may even be the most liberating movie ever made. And Robert Altman, in the early 70s, you know, he was on a roll between MASH and Nashville. He said, how dare I make another film? My personal and artistic life will never be the same. I would actually love to do a profile as an Altman. Oh, yeah, definitely. He would be great. He would be great. But, yeah, it's, it's an important movie because of what it explored. And I went to the New Beverly Cinema like two years ago maybe to see it by myself. I felt like I should be wearing a trench coat when I walked out. But it's it's a great movie. Sunglasses and a hat. Yeah, it's, it's worth watching. <laughs> definitely worth watching. And Mark Geisler says this about hey, Last Mark. Tango in Paris. Hey, Mark. <laughs> For the role of Paul in Last Tango in Paris – 
Brando essentially played himself, interesting, peeling back the onion and exposing his greatest suffering. He wrote or improvised nearly all his lines, and the story was rewritten with his life and experience in mind. Tango isn't about sex, but rather personal turmoil and the pain of regret. Brando destroyed himself emotionally and violated his deepest feelings to make this film. His pain in tango is the performance. It may not be as popular as his other films, but it is still Brando at his finest and his most vulnerable. Completely um, agree. Completely agree on the live chat. Rachel Cushing said, people misread it a lot, focused on the sex and violence, but missing the context and the ideas behind it. It is. It's a hard movie to watch, like you said. Yeah. Well, that brings us to your favorite part of Profiles, Alicia Malone. Quiz show. Quiz show, where we oh. test each other's knowledge of all things <laughs> movies and Brando. Okay. I'm going to kick things off here. Do. Okay. Marlon Brando. Oh, you're going to know this. Damn. Uh, Marlon Brando okay. was the first actor to make more than $1 million to star in a movie. What was that movie? Was it A, Julius Caesar? Was it B, Guys and Dolls? Was it C, Mutiny on the Bounty? Or was it D, The Chase? I don't know. I'm going to say again. Was it A, Julius Caesar? Julius Caesar. Was it B, Guys and Dolls? Was it C, Mutiny on the Bounty? Yes, exactly. Damn, girl. I'm terrible at remembering trivia like that. I'm just good with dates. Everything else, forget it. All right. Well, my question is one that's like, just you might just have to guess. Okay, let's hear it. But how many languages did Marlon Brando speak? Was it A, three? B, five, or C, two? Uh, well, he spoke English. Yeah. He spoke French. Yeah. I'm going to say he spoke Italian. Yeah. Okay. Three. No. Ah, five. Five? English, French, Spanish, Italian, and Japanese. He spoke Japanese? Yeah. Wow, I'll be damned. Good Amazing. job. Way to go. Okay, moving on from Quichelle. Phew. This brings us to... Number three <laughs> on our fast five. I know I got it too. It's horrible. Uh, but nothing will stop us from profiling. Number I three. <laughs> it had to be that. I, I would have been crushed if it wasn't. Hey, Stella! Hey, Stella! One more for the road, my friend. Hey, Stella! Never gets old. Streetcar <laughs> named Desire. Wow. Released September 18th, 1951, directed by Eli Kazan. Cost $1.8 million to make. It made $4.2 million for 1951, the fifth biggest hit of that year. 12 Academy Award nominations. It won four Best Actress Vivian Lee, Supporting Actor Carol Malden, Malden, Uh, Supporting Actress uh, uh, Kim Hunter. And it was no only for Brando. Nothing, but he got nominated. Yeah, it was his first. Didn't he didn't. He should have. It was his first of four consecutive Oscar nominations, and because it did win three Oscars in acting categories, it's only one of two films to win three Oscars in acting categories. The other is Network, Yay. which is an interesting bit of trivia. But uh, another thing, okay, go with me on this one, okay? okay. I know this is a bit of a stretch. Okay, Vivian Lee. Yes. Plays Blanche. Yes. Okay. Uh, Blue Jasmine. Yes. Which came out a couple years ago. Uh-huh. Starred, it, it, a lot of people saw that as a very loose remake of A Streetcar Named Desire. Yeah, I agree. Who played Jasmine? 
Okay, Blanchette. Blanchette. Oh. Blanche. Blanchette. Blanchette. Yeah. Hmm, I wonder if Woody Allen was on to something with that. Well, plus she's incredible. Uh, well, that's too. An incredible And she actor. won an Oscar. And she won an Oscar. Just like Vivian Lee. But you can definitely see... Uh, See the associations between those two films. This was, of course, the adaptation of Tennessee Williams' Pulitzer Prize winning play. And Eli Kazan had directed this on Broadway. And then Brando, Kim Hunter and Carl Malden came from their original stage roles to do it again. And this was the film which made Marlon Brando a star. I mean, he was the talker of Broadway in 1947 when he did this role on stage. And then he brought that same intensity and that ferociousness of that character on the screen and people hadn't seen anything really like it that was where that's kind of the birth of the method acting craze and he was he never looked better than he did in streetcar wearing that white t-shirt he was fit and trim and he had the guns yeah but he brought so much to that character because he's so he's like a wild animal this character stanley like he can't be contained. He's just thrashing all over the place. He's so angry. But at the same time, <clears> he infuses him with uh, desperation and you feel something for him and you kind of understand that he does love his wife. He's just really screwed up. It's it's a it's steamy so film. Yeah. It is a steamy film. It just it just sweats New Orleans mm. in the heat. And it is a obviously a melodramatic film. It is Tennessee Williams, but it is a hot movie and and every performance, every performance, especially Brando's, is brimming with passion. Yes. That passion is infectious. You are so drawn. He is irresistible. It is magnetic. You cannot take your eyes off of Marlon Brando in this movie. It is unbelievable. Even by the standards of which we view movies here in 2015, mm-hmm. this is absolutely one of the greatest movies ever yeah it's still shocking to watch it now the violence in it and even if you've never seen the movie everyone knows stella everyone knows Stella. this is another another film that you can watch and then you see the context around that quote and you understand it you know when you see people spoofing yeah scenes like that and then you go and see the movie itself you go okay now i get why they they spoof it and they recall it in so many other films yep. because this is one of the best scenes I ever. playing, you know, that heads up game where they you ask questions oh, yeah. and you put your mobile phone on, on your forehead and I was with a friend and, and her brother and the, the thing was uh, the quote, it was a movie quote and it said Stella and for he had, he had it on his, his forehead she, as the quote, said uh, oh, I'm Sylvester Stallone and he went, Stella! And I was like no! What? No, that's Adrian! Oh my gosh! How do you get those confused? I was like, no, it's Brando. Well, so you know, funny. it's funny. Like when we were saying, when we went on our, when we went on, went on one of the other, for the Schmoville page to say, oh, go to our Facebook page right now and see who our next profile is. It's a real contender. Yeah. Someone went Stallone. Yeah. Come on! I mean, I love Sly, the original contender. But he's the we, contender. I'm sure we will do Stallone at some point. Yeah. Because he's had an interesting career, and he's got a very good looking movie coming out later this year called Creed, which we'll talk about some other time. <laughs> Streetcar Named Desire. Everyone should watch it if they haven't. Another great classic. And a, a classic review from Bosley Crowther of the New York Times. He said, Inner torments are seldom projected on screen with such sensitivity and clarity. This is a movie for the ages. And originally, the role of Stanley was offered to actor Robert Mitchum. 
mm. who wanted to do the role, but he was on contract back when they had contracts with these actors at RKO Studios, and they wouldn't let him. Ah, oh, well, well, I'm glad that I'm Brando glad that had happened. that opportunity. <laughs> well, Rachel Cushing, who's watching live, says Marlon Brando in a streetcar named Desire is the epitome of raw talent. His layered and violently visceral performance as Stanley Kowalski is one for the ages as he swaggers and stumbles his way through the film. He goes toe-to-toe with Vivian Lee and Kim Hunter, and it's impossible to look away as he swings from charisma to rage to regret and back again. It's no wonder that everyone in Hollywood stood up and took notice of him after this film. He breathed life into writer Tennessee Williams' villain in a way that made him magnetic, deplorable, pitiable, and most of all, truly memorable. Well said. Man, really she well is said. so good, so Rachel Cushing. I wish I could write like that. Oh, Rachel, you are <laughs> definitely one of the best film critics I've ever read. Well, Camille Howard, <clears throat> just FYI, both fighting a bit of a cold here. Yeah. But nothing will stop us from profiling Marlon Brando. fighting us at yeah, the moment. something's going around here in L.A. Camille Howard says this about A Streetcar Named Desire. Such a great milestone for acting, writing, and pushing the envelope of cinema. Brando's performance really takes the film to the next level. His charisma and physical character make one that could be considered monstrous. <laughs> <laughs> Take some water. <laughs> Finish my thought. Okay. Where were you? Oh, considered <coughs> monstrous, disturbingly likable. <coughs> Don't die, Mance. Could you find a more star-making performance? <coughs> Take it deep. I'm okay. Okay. <coughs> Take some more water. I'm good. Have some more water. Please do not choke and die. <laughs> well, this would be a really great time. For us to call our special guest. <laughs> Do you want to take a, another breather before we get Woo! this guest? Okay, I'm good. You're good? Oh, it's fine. I've coughed it on the camera. Ooh, okay. We're calling. We're calling. Are you good? You say it. <coughs> good afternoon, the West Home. This Rolando may help you. Yes, hi. We are calling for Eva Marie Saint. This is Scott and Alicia from Profiles. Okay, hold on, sir. Thank you. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have a special guest guest coming back. (laughs) Hello. Hello. (laughs) Hello, Eva Marie Saint. Thank you so much for coming back to Profiles. We had you on back in October when we were talking about the great Alfred Hitchcock and North by Northwest. And we're so honored to have you back on to talk about your feature film debut, your Oscar-winning performance in uh-huh. On the Waterfront. Thank you so much for, <laughs> for talking to us again. You were such a great guest the first time, and uh, it's such a thrill to talk to you again. After are, more- you from, are you from England or Australia? I'm from Australia. Oh, good, good uh-huh. guess. Yeah, good guess. Oh, I, won, I, I won the pot of gold. <laughs> you won the pot of gold. I love that accent. Oh, good. Thank oh, thank you. you so much. Wow, you just made her day. That means a lot <laughs> coming from you. We were just re-watching On the Waterfront, and it's incredible that after 60 years, it still holds up. Why do you think that is? Well, I, I think... <laughs> Movies are very different now, but I think it was about the human condition. It was about people. It was about feelings. It was about struggle. It was about on the waterfront. It was real. People were flying through the air on the satellites. I mean, they they were down to earth. I'm not criticizing films like that today, but I I think people relate to this kind of film in a in a in a different way. I think 
from the heart, not just really entertainment. Well, how did you come to be cast as Edie Doyle in the first place? And how did you, uh, why do you still consider Eli Kinsav one of your favorite directors? Why, Kinsav? Yep. Oh, because he's a, he was one of the finest directors. I think part of it was, uh, I, I was, I'm uh, an act, acting at the Actors Studio in New York, and uh, Kazan was uh, teaching there, and Marlon was from there, and Carl Malden, and Lee Cobb, and Nikki Persoff, and it just felt like such a wonderful group of people, and I wasn't nervous, because although it was my first film, well, I was a little anxious, because I'd never made a film, but I felt very comfortable with him, and Kazan saw me in Trip to Bountiful, a play written by Horton Foote, and I would I played with Lillian Gish, and I played the young girl at the bus stop. She meets she's the older lady, and and she meets me, and we talk. And my husband is in the war, and we're just married. And it was a, it was a lovely role, and Kazan saw me in that. Wow, on Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's such a great film, and of course Brando, such an iconic actor. Can you talk about the first time you met Marlon Brando? Well, he had such a he has a a wonderful sense of humor, and he was just so dear, and he liked to uh, be uh, rehearsing all the time, and that's how Gad works if, when he was filming uh, a scene. He would you would be in the next studio rehearsing because you were up next, and and so you were just always working, no time to sort of kid around, getting to know you. No, 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 you got to know each other on that set and and saying those lines and developing that love story. Well, what do you remember about your first day? Ah, uh, my first day. Interesting question. <laughs> my first day. I felt a little embarrassed because the apartment was real, the rooftop was real, and I felt badly for the newlyweds who were just married, and I guess, you know, they were getting a lot of money, well, I don't know how much, <laughs> whether a lot, but they, they were renting it out to the uh, film crew, and I just kept thinking, oh my God, they're just married, they should start their life together. <laughs> Well, Kazan had worked with Brando before. Did he give you any tips on on how to work with him as a co-star? No, no, because um, no, actually, no. (laughs) (laughs) I'm thinking back a long time ago, but I'm thinking back. No, I think the fact, I mean, you don't have to be from the actor studio to love working with another actor. Cary Grant wasn't from the actor studio. You know, I love working with the North by Northwest. Yeah. You don't have to be, but, but this particular kind of story, this dark, confused story along the way and the love and the aggression of the longshoremen. By the way, to this day, I find myself, if there's any news about longshoremen, I continue to follow their lives. It's really strange. <laughs> well, what what was it that about Marlon Brando? What made him so brilliant, and how did he? How was he different from some of the other classic leading men you worked with, like Cary Grant and Paul Newman? Well, Paul was from the Act Studio too. I, there was something about Marlon when you would 
do a scene over for whatever reason, the lighting or whatever. Um, we would say the lines, of course, that we learned and we worked on, but every time, <laughs> if we did it, he would read, the emphasis would be on a different word, like instead of I love, I love you, it would be I love you, or I love, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it was always fresh, and I had to listen very carefully, because when you change the emphasis and the meaning of a sentence, it, it just changes, you have to answer in a certain way. Wow, that's amazing to that's hear. Amazing, yeah. Do you have a, a favorite scene that you can think of, one that you worked with with Brando on this film? Yes, when I took the shot of whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Real whiskey. I mean, it, because I, I don't know, I just see, I see his head sort of down and looking up at me from an angle, and I'm not looking at him. You know, it was a very, Bud Schelberg did a wonderful script. It just did a great script. Well, and they tried to make a mo uh, play out of it on Broadway late, years later. It didn't work. I think some things you just can't transfer into another, you know, area. It has, it has to be the movie in the black and white. Thank goodness it wasn't in <laughs> in color, right? Yeah. It actually <laughs> lends it a timeless feel being in black and white, I think. I Definitely. Mean, don't, don't you agree? Yeah. What did you say? That it being in black and white, it actually makes it feel more timeless. Oh, exactly. But uh, I wore a navy dress through the whole thing. To this day, I do. If you want to come and look in my closet, you're welcome. Oh. But you will not find <laughs> one <over>. item <laughs> navy. I don't. I don't own a navy anything. <laughs> it's, it's just like it's like when you wear pregnant. Uh, your clothes when you're pregnant, you know, when you have the baby and you're not into Cindy anymore. Yeah. <laughs> That's so great. Well, what was it like that the night of the Academy Awards? You you made your feature film debut. You won an Oscar. Marlon won his first Oscar. The movie won Best Picture and Best Director. How special was that night? What were your memories of that night? Well, it's interesting. Do you hear the excitement in your voice? Yes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I don't know how old you are, but you're carrying over what happens with the Oscars today. Believe me, in those days, there was Hollywood and there was New York. And there was the coaxial cable on television. And uh, people felt, oh, unless the movie was made in Hollywood, you know, it, I don't know, I think they... I don't think they thought we would win. I don't, I really don't know. But it was so low key. We were at some, <clears throat> some big hall somewhere sitting there and, and you, and it was, it was so exciting. I was pregnant. I actually had a baby two days after that. Wow. wow. Good week. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. And, and my husband said, oh, I still have my director husband, Jeffrey Hayton. He whispered to me in my ear. He said, no. If your name is called, I want you to count to ten. I said, "Oh, oh, sure, I'll, I can do that." <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I and then I heard my name called. I started to get up. I couldn't. Why? He had his thumb on my thigh, oh. and I could not move. And then after I counted to ten, he released it, and I and I ran up. But you see, I just said something like. Thank you, thank you. I'm so excited. I may have the baby right here, and <laughs> and I left the stage. That's the way it was then. So it wasn't scary. 
I remember that day I, I walked to Macy's looking for a, a baby blanket. I mean, I wasn't in hair and makeup. Oh, <laughs> sure, yeah. You were grounded. <laughs> I, I was grounded, yeah. Oh, yeah, nine-pound baby. I was grounded. <laughs> and it seems <laughs> and, so glamorous. But it was different. But it was different. You know, I, I think. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Excuse me, I have a little cold. I think the actors today, they have to do so much. You know, they do the movie, they do their part, but then they have to do all that publicity, and they're wonderful at it. And they're smart to do it, I guess, because it does pay off, as they say. But I feel sorry for them. We we didn't have to do, we did our job. You know, we did the we made the movie, and that was that. Wow! But, yeah. but but I'm sitting here, and there's my Oscar right across the way there. Oh, wow! Oh, yay! So cool! Oh, that is very cool. I that love is very cool. No, I'm, I'm very proud of it. <laughs> yeah, you should be really proud. Do you have some other favorite Marlon Brando movies? Oh, oh! I love Streetcar Named Desire. Yes. Stella. Stella. Yes. I mean, don't. I mean, he was. He was magnificent in that. I mean, they all work. And Stanley, they, they, they just were wonderful in that movie. Well, and you, if, if no one has not seen that who's listening, yes, watch if it. anyone is listening, right? They if you are. are listening and They're watching, listening you can right count now. on it. I, 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 hope, I hope they see that film. It's, 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 he's, he outdoes himself. No one could have played that part. I... I've been sad through the years when people ask me about Marlon because I feel, and I didn't know him except when I worked with him and ran into him once at a party. Um, that's what happens with actors. You go your your ways and you don't always meet again. But I, I don't know. I think he, I think he lost the joy in acting. Uh-huh. You know, he gained a lot of weight. He lived on the top of a mountain. And he stayed by himself, had his very clear uh, and close friends. But I, I don't know what happened to him. I think he's the finest actor we have ever had. Well, we agree completely. Yes, totally. And well, you do. Oh, good. Yeah. We, we're honestly, even Marie Saint, we are so honored and grateful not only to have you on our show but to have you on our show again, again. thank you, know, you well do i sound sexy because of my cold you Dude. sound terrific great, and, and by the way we we are in good company because we're fighting a cold ourselves <laughs> yes. so oh my God. yes yeah, something is going around but even marie saying <laughs> it is an honor and a thrill and a privilege to talk with you thank you so much for joining me and alicia thank on profiles you. and, and I, I do love your accent oh yay <laughs> you have made are, are my you, year. Are you as, as pretty as your accent. Oh, uh, Ava Marie Saint, she yes. is prettier than oh. her accent, and that is a bold okay. statement. Okay. Nice. <laughs> bye bye. Thank, thank you so much. Bye bye. That's cool. That was so cool. She likes, my she likes your accent. Two compliments to bookend this interview. That's amazing. How? Because she is such a classy, class act. elegant woman. So beautiful in On the Waterfront and North by Northwest, someone I grew up watching. So that is, like, really cool. Good, gets a high five. Really cool. And you, haven't, you didn't five. die. I You're didn't still die. Alive? I'm okay. I had a little bit of a coughing fit, you but I'm okay. Cough. I've got a cough. She's Eva's got, a, got cough. a cough. She's in tears. Yay! Yay! Hooray! I know. Aww. It's really... And to hear her say Stella as well, that was oh so cool. Oh, my gosh. This is what makes us so 
honored oh my and feel so lucky. Incredible. I and loved doing this show. The Oscars during that time, which to me, I look back at those pictures and I, it seems so glamorous, glamorous. Where it sounds like it was actually really low key. Ah. Well, stay made. I guess we have to move on. Stay made. Yeah. And as Tyler says, I'm growing redder than my hair. It's true. It is true. It is true. Compliments don't usually sit well with me, but when they come from Eva Marie Saint... That'll stick. She will take it, and it will stick. Well, let's quickly run through some of the other films. The others? I'm going to make them an awfully camera Oh, not yet. Oh, not yet. Uh, We're still on... uh, Before we we get to that point... Back and forth a little bit. We're going to talk about Apocalypse Now, 1979, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is one of the greatest movies of all time. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Playing Colonel Walter E. Kirk. Uh, he's only in it at the end of the film, but his performance is so strong and and sort of frightening mm-hmm. that it feels like he's in it the entire time. Yeah, and because the, the whole movie is about his character, it's all leading up to that point. And then when you get to that point, he definitely doesn't disappoint uh, the so haunting what he does and, and even though you know of course he was difficult he was overweight he didn't want to learn lines there's so many stories about what happened on set the end result is really brilliant what's another one you got well another I, I know you, you spoke about <coughs> Superman the movie and uh, The Freshman is one that I actually haven't seen okay here's why you have to see The Freshman and I've seen the, the, a snippet of it when he's doing his godfather he he reprises he spoofs his role he Spoofing plays J- Carmine I don't know how I feel about this. Pa- you have to see it. Really? It is actually really good. I remember when this movie came out in 1990, I, I, I had heard that, that there were problems during the production, that Brandon was difficult to work with, and the director, Andrew Bergman, was very frustrated, but it is a very funny movie. It's very clever. Mm-hmm. This is a movie for people who love movies, because Matthew Broderick plays a film student at NYU who's studying to be a filmmaker, yeah. and then he gets recruited to be sort of, uh, to go work for this guy named Carmine Jimmy the Toucan Sabatini and he walks in and he sees him and it's Marlon Brando and he goes my gosh your resemblance to the Godfather he goes yeah 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 whatever but it's really funny trust me the freshman is great stuff and we already talked about Superman the movie Mm -hmm. then uh, but back in the 50s he was on a roll the year after uh uh the uh, streetcar named Desire. He had Viva Zapata, yep. uh, where he plays a Mexican revolutionary. He was nominated for his second Oscar, and he was very good in that movie. Uh, he was also nominated the following year for playing Mark Antony and Julius Caesar. Even though a lot of people felt like he was a little miscast, mm-hmm. he still got nominated. Still got nominated. And then even into the 60s in the movie The Ugly American, another excellent film with a great performance from Marlon Brando. Well, on our Facebook page, we have our brackets where our profilers pit two characters against each other and then people vote to say which one should win. So thanks to Liam Logrand, who's a huge Brando fan himself and he's watching now. It came down to Stanley versus Terry. So Stanley from Streetcar versus Terry from On the Waterfront. And then Don Vito from Godfather versus Paul. And then it got down to Don Vito versus Terry who do you think won? It's got to be Vito. No! Whoa! Terry from from on the waterfront one 17 votes to 12 wow so that is that's cool. cool that is cool that because is cool we'll get to why but now should we get into our fast five number two which is 
I'm going to make a Manoa for Yay. the camera. Yes! I love that line, so I don't mind hearing it multiple times. We can really hear that great. again if you want. I'm going to make a Manoa for the camera for you. Bingo! Can the... you do an impression? I'm going to make a Manoa for the camera for you. I'm going to make a Manoa for the camera for you. She loved your accent. Eva Marie Saint loved your Australian accent. I'm never changing. How cool is that? It's really cool. Love it. Okay, The Godfather <laughs> released March 24th, 1972. Of course, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. And we've spoken about this movie several times. Several with times. Pacino and Coppola. And Coppola episode. But you can never talk about it too much. 11 Oscar nominations at 1-3, Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, and Marlon Brando's second Academy Award. This one collected by Sashi Littlefeather because he protested the Academy Awards that year. Yeah. Um, not atypical for Marlon Brando to do something controversial, yeah. but his performance as Vito is such a stark contrast to to Al Pacino's performance as Michael. They're so different. Yeah. Michael is you feared him, but but people were genuinely afraid of him. Mm-hmm. Vito, played by Marlon Brando, people respected him. They liked him. They mm-hmm. wanted to do stuff for him. They feared him to an extent, but they genuinely liked Vito Corleone. And he was actually a good businessman. He didn't want to get into drugs, whereas Michael, as we saw later in The Godfather, part two especially, he was quite corrupt. And Maud, watching Godfather for the very first time, she said to me, oh, I I thought it was all about Don Vito. I didn't know that it's mainly about Michael. Michael, yeah. Michael's transformation rather than Vito. But that just speaks to how iconic this role is. You can't think of the movie The Godfather without thinking about Marlon Brando and the things he brought to the role. And of course, Francis Ford Coppola had to really fight for him. The producers did not want him to be in this movie because of all the difficulties that they people have had with him in the past. Robert Evans, who was a production executive at Paramount, was so against Brando being cast as Vito, he literally said, he's crazy, F him, had the horse he rode in on. But in the end, Brando just gave a performance for the ages, mm-hmm. a, one of many. And he wanted Vito to look like a bulldog, so he had a dentist design a mouthpiece for him. Yeah took him three hours a day to get that thing put into place so he could look convincing as Vito Corleone. The little things that he brought to the character, it was such a transformation. This movie's filled with iconic moments. Stanley Kubrick said it was the greatest movie ever made. And Brando was surrounded by these young actors who all were so inspired by him and influenced by him and grew up loving him, you know, with Pacino and James Caan and Robert Duvall. They all had such respect for him. Such great performances in the beginning of the film, you know, the, yeah, when the guy's the like, with the cat, but Love then when that. he, when the, when the guy comes in, uh, um, the singer and he wants yeah. to be in this war movie, he goes, oh, you can act like a man! Yeah. <laughs> what am I gonna do? What am I gonna do? Yeah. And you're like, whoa. Comes out of nowhere. It comes ah. out of nowhere. But then later on in the film, after Sonny gets shot 127 seven times and he's looking at the body and he goes look what they've done to my boy I know so vulnerable and heartbreaking that is why this man won his second Academy Award and I really annoyed more during it because I kept leaning over and being like did you know that this part was improvised you were the director's commentary yeah, I was like, she was like no no I like I like these little comments I have to <laughs> go with, well, so this is from John Goetz says, I have to go with the cliche on this one and say The Godfather is my favorite Brando performance. In a relatively short amount of screen time, Vito makes an indelible mark not only on this film, but on all film, period. It is the greatest example of a kind touch that can still somehow make you fear him. Every subtlety from the way Brando plays with his cat in the beginning to the death of Vito in the garden screams complete immersion into that character. Everyone is a gangster in the end, but Vito Vito is as close as a good guy 
way as you get in the film, yet I fear him just as much as Michael. Very true. And Aaron Turner says, I didn't know what a great actor was until I saw Marlon Brando in The Godfather. It is my father's favorite film, and he told me for years that when it came to acting in movies, it didn't get any better than that. After watching it for the first time, I have to agree. Brando keeps you glued to the screen. You cannot take your eyes off of him. And David DeSoa on live chat in response to the you know FM and the horse he rode in, he says, the horse that he rode in just lost its head. Oh, <laughs> good one. Way to go. Yeah. He shoots, he, he scores. scores. All right. That now- brings us to number one on our best five. I could have had class. I could have been a contender. I could have been somebody instead of a bum. Oh, oh. So good. Oh, so good. On the waterfront. Released July 28, 1954, directed by Eli Kazan. Cost $910,000 to make. Made $9.6 million at the box office. 12 Academy Award nominations. It won eight Best Picture, Best Director, Screenplay, Supporting Actress for our guest of honor, Eva Marie Saint. Best Actor, Marlon Brando. It was a critical and commercial success. And this role almost went to Frank Sinatra. And then years later after, well, I think it was like a year later after all the success of the movie, he actually filed for breach of contract because he was like, I should have been cast in that role. $500,000 he wanted for that. No kidding. But Brando, this is Brando's role. He owned it completely. It's just so, such a complex character. Uh, he's an ex-boxer. He's a boxer. He's illiterate. He's lower crafts, low class, but then he's transformed into a decent man by love when he meets the character played by lovely Eva Reese. Who just had lovely things to say about your accent, Alicia Malone. Very, very sweet. Um, this is a movie that was definitely a uh, parallel to the uh, uh, House Un-American Activities Committee, which were the witch hunts, mm-hmm. where the filmmakers named names to oust the communists back in nineteen in the early 1950s. Elijah Kazam was one of those people naming names, and that is why he saw this movie as a parallel for Ter- Terry Malloy, who also had to name names. And uh, this is a metaphor. Uh, it is also a film that has a lot in common with another film that came out not even 10 years later called The Hustler, mm-hmm. where that film's director, Robert Vossen, saw his character, Fast Eddie Felsen, as, as a parallel to the same sort of thing that Eli Kazan did back on, on the waterfront. And you can watch it today and you can equate it to lots of things that are happening in today's world as well. And that's part of the reason why I think it's so timeless. Kazan said about Brando... If there is a better performance by a man in the history of American film, I don't know what it is. Well, A.H. Uh, Wheeler, the film critic for the New York Times back on July 29, 1954, said, Marlon Brando's Terry Malloy is a shatteringly poignant portrayal of an immoral, confused, illiterate citizen of the lower depths who was goaded into decency by love, hate, and murder. How's that for a hell of a review? Rachel Cushing in the live chat says, no one else could have been Terry, period, and David David DeSoa said, I rewatched this the other day, not so much in prep for this show as in, but as spurred on by this show, and it's an unbelievable movie. Well, our profiler Liam Logrand 
had this to say about On the Waterfront. My favorite movie of all time for many reasons, mainly Brando's Oscar-winning performance as Terry Malloy. He demonstrates countless emotions that ultimately ruin his relationships with his brother and work associated on the dock. The courage and betrayal Brando represent on screen is second to none, Mm. as the audience is enduring the pain that he experiences to eliminate corruption within the union. And that car scene, his ability to deliver that entire monologue, acting opposite the fantastic Rod Steiger, was the point in which he established himself as the greatest actor of all time. Knowing that Kazan created the film as a response for ousting communists within Hollywood demonstrates that you shouldn't be afraid to stand up against what is immoral in certain scenarios throughout life. Hashtag Film Geek. Hashtag Profiler for for Life. life. And I love reading the live comments again. Rachel Cushing says, it works on all levels. Personal, emotional, political. David Tassoa, who's quite funny, says, and it has pigeons. Who doesn't love pigeons? <laughs> Who doesn't love pigeons? The I pigeons. Agree. The pigeons. And with that, I close my book, Thug Life, and we recap our fast five. Coming in at number five, The, the Wild, Wild one. one. Number four, Last Tango, Tango in, in Paris. Paris. Number three, Stella Streetcar Named Desire. Desire. Number two, <laughs> the, the Godfather. Godfather. <laughs> number one, On the on Waterfront. The waterfront. Great. Wow. That was a fun show, Alicia Malone. That was amazing. That was amazing. It's, That's it's how not, we not roll. Even work, is it? It's no. just like it's fun. Uh, we would do this even if the cameras weren't even on. This is our jam. This is just what we would. Just this talk is an about. absolute joy talking about <laughs> movies with the lovely and talented Alicia Malone. It actually says that on her business card. Yeah, it says the lovely and talented Alicia oh, Malone. I, I want everyone to refer to me from now on. And you're going to get that. Believe me. Uh, on iTunes. <laughs> Make sure you subscribe to Profiles, rate and review us. We need these ratings and reviews to survive. Tell your friends about us. Yes. Share Profiles. My very good friend, Scott Manson. Yes, men and women can be friends. Yes. Just be friends. Yes, they definitely but can. At Movie Mats, at Alicia Malone, at Movie Mats. At, at Alicia, Alicia Malone. Malone. One more time. At, at Movie Mets. At, at Alicia, Alicia Malone. Malone. Tell us what you watch after seeing this show. We love to hear your comments and we can't wait. We've got to figure out what we're doing next because I'm going to be away for two and a half, almost three weeks, going to Cannes and the Bentonville Film Festival, which is Gina Davis Film Festival. Um, so we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Either we'll just take a bit of a break or maybe we'll just do a special profiles. Maybe you can get a guest host to come maybe. in. Maybe. We'll see. We'll figure it out. But until next time please share profiles like our Facebook page profiles with Malona Mance and until next time bye bye. (laughs) from producers Maria Menounos Kevin Undergaro Phil Svitek and the entire Popcorn Talk Network we would like to thank you for tuning in for questions or comments be sure to visit popcorntalk.com I'm Sir Richard Wentworth and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Popcorn Talk Network or its owners or principals. 